This podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. Good morning, ladies, and good afternoon, or good evening to the Thursday night ladies. It's good to be here this morning. Are you enjoying our early summer? Wasn't this great? This This week's supposed to be in the 80s. I cannot believe it. It's kind of crazy. Well, last week, our lesson looked at courage to rest, and Mary led us through that lesson and talked about how Joshua divided up the land amongst the 12 tribes. This week, we're looking at courage to make peace. And what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to recap the story for you first from Joshua 22, and then I'm going to get really practical with you this morning and just go through some steps about how to navigate peace, how to make peace how to be a peacemaker. And there's a handout on your table, a yellow handout that you each got this morning. And near the end of my talk, I'll be referencing that. But first, we're going to look at Joshua 22, and I'm going to recap the story for you. So in this study, a dispute arises between the tribes. They've finished battling. They've finished the conquest of the land of Canaan. And now everyone is dispersing into their territories. There's two and a half tribes that are headed to the east side of the Jordan. And Joshua calls them together. He summons them, and he says to them, you have, done all that the Moses, you have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, and you have obeyed me in everything I commanded. So he's commending them here. He's saying, you did a great job. Thank you for serving so faithfully. And he says, for a long time now to this very day, you have not deserted your brothers, but have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. They have fulfilled their promise to Moses to help battle for the land of the promised land. And he's thanking them, and he's thanking them most of all for being faithful to serving God. In verse 4, then he discharges them. He sends them back to their homeland to the east side of the Jordan. But as he sends them back, he cautions cautions them. He says he reminds them to seek God first. And I love this about Joshua. As a a leader, not only a military leader, but he is also a spiritual leader. He's reminding the people to seek God first, first and foremost, above everything else. He wants them to keep the command of Moses, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The next thing he does is he blesses them in verses 6 through 8. And he, he not only gives them a verbal blessing, but he blesses them with the material spoils from all their conquests. So they return to their homes with great wealth to share large herds of livestock, silver, gold, bronze, iron, and a massive quantity of clothing. That sounds kind of fun to me. (laughs) I always like it when I go to my sister's house and she sends me home with clothing that she doesn't want anymore. I, I kind of shop in her closet when I visit her. And then they divide that, they share that with their families. They're to share that with their families. So the two and a half tribes return to their own land, but as they cross the Jordan, they decide to build what what is called an imposing altar by the Jordan River. And this is in verse 10. Now, right here, the scripture doesn't explain what this imposing altar is. It just kind of just says that statement. But we know from Deuteronomy chapter 12 that God had instructed the Jews not to build altars to other gods and to destroy any altars that they came upon that the Canaanite people had built. 
because there was only one, there was only supposed to be one place of worship and one altar to worship God in, and that was the place appointed by God. So this imposing altar was a bit of an alarm to the other remaining tribes in Israel. So the word travel, after they built this altar, the word traveled quickly back to the other tribes. And uh, this action was misunderstood instantly, and the tribes began to prepare for war. So you see that those that had once fought together now looked destined to destroy each other. And it's a terrible situation that happens here. And the motivation on both sides, we will find out later, is to honor God. But because of the misunderstanding of what's been done, there's a potential conflict building, and the devastation, the the results of it could be devastating. We also know that there's Canaanite groups that have recently been um, conquered, and they're nearby. And if there's any division in the Israelites, they're going to seize that as an opportunity to come in and join in and divide the kingdom further. So they would love to see the kingdom of Israel divide and that these tribes go to war. This would would show weakness and disunity. However, thankfully, as we continue with the story, as they're gathering and getting all up in arms and saying, let's go to battle, let's go take them out, they're worshiping another god, how could they do this? Someone has, or some people, have the sense of, wait, let's just pause Let's take a deep breath. I love it when that person's in the room, especially when I'm angry. Because if I lash out in my anger, it's usually not pretty. So wisdom prevails, and wisely, they take a step back, and they decide to send an official delegation over to ask what's going on first. They decide to send a respected priest, Phineas, as well as a leader from each of the ten tribes on the west side. So the delegation is sent, and they head over, and they ask the east side tribes, why in the world would you do such a thing? Especially knowing that in the past, when altars had been built to other gods, it had caused harm to the entire, entire Israelite kingdom. And it also led people astray. So they're like, what, what's going on? They approach them with humility and ask, you know, why are you doing this? What's the motive behind this? And they remind the people on the east side, again, these two tribes that had built this altar, the consequence of sin affects the whole community. I love that Alyssa pointed that out so clearly in our lesson two weeks ago, I believe it was, that sin, the sin of an individual affects an entire community. That is one of the anchors of truth that we need to hold in our hearts because our personal sin is not personal it affects the community that we're involved in. It has a ripple effect to all of the relationships that we are part of and the community that we are part of. The next thing the delegation does is it invites, you can see the warmth of their approach. They invite the other tribes to come back. That if they are turning away, they're saying, come back. They're, they're approaching them with an open arm saying, and they still don't know the motive of the other tribes yet, but they're saying, even if you did set that altar up to another god, come back. Come back into the fold and worship God with us. There's brotherly, sisterly love right there, showing them that no matter what your intent was, I want you back in the fold. We want you as part of the community. 
So the other tribe then explains, gets an opportunity to explain their actions, sharing that the altar was meant to be a reminder that they were in fact fellow servants and followers of the Lord. They were not enemies. Their intentions were meant to honor God, and the altar had been built so that future generations would not forget that they were God's people too. So what they intended to be a reminder and a monument to their faith and a reminder to future generations of the other tribes on the West, that they were part of their people, that this was their heart intent was to honor God. It wasn't a false altar to other God, to false gods. And when the delegation heard this, they were relieved. Can you imagine just that sigh of relief? It's like, oh gosh, this was just a misunderstanding. Have any of you ever been in misunderstandings that have escalated to the point of dangerous conflict or consequences? The the catastrophe had been averted, and the delegation returns to the Western tribes and shares the good news. And you can almost just hear the sigh of relief of all the people. It's like, thank you, Jesus that our brothers and sisters are still following you, and this was just a misunderstanding. Because we do not want to go to war again. We're tired. We have battled hard. We've been battling for several years, seven years. So thank you, Lord Jesus, that we're still all on the same side and that we're still united. The chapter ends with the altar being named... a witness between us that the Lord is God. The altar becomes a reaffirmation of the unity between the 12 tribes based upon the truth that the Lord is God. Such a beautiful picture of reconciliation. So the Israelites, we can take this example and look at it and take some practical examples. And our study does a good job of going through each piece of the story So I'm not going to go through the story piece by piece. What I am going to do is just give some practical tips when we're faced with conflict, because I think we all, I know we all deal with conflict on a regular basis. And there's a continuum of how we deal with conflict. There's those who are passive and want to avoid it, and there's those who actually enjoy it and want to fully engage it. I remember Lorna Day, when she used to be on our teaching team, She would describe her husband, Bob. He's a ref for the um, college football, and he's a policeman. He loves conflict. (laughs) He's right there on the front line. It doesn't bother him. He, you know, being called names, getting in the middle of between players that are opposing views, he's, he's content with that. It doesn't faze him. And then there's someone like me on the other side that if you say conflict, I start running. And I don't want to deal with it. And that's a real growth area that God has had to challenge me to, to not run and not just deny it and not avoid it, but to actually move towards it and realize that conflict, out of conflict can come great beauty and out of conflict can come even more unity and more refinement for each person involved. And God's always in the midst if we allow him to be of every situation that we face. So conflict isn't a bad thing. It's something that we need to embrace and move towards. But there's a way that we can move towards it. So if you're in a situation 
I'm going to give you just a few practical steps right now if you're in a situation of conflict. The first thing to do is to clarify the situation. What exactly is going on? You can either process with a safe person or you can journal it. And a lot of times, typing or writing out your thoughts helps give you clarity because when we're angry or when we're confused or frustrated, our minds just start spiraling and they're spinning and you can't really get off that crazy track. But if you start writing it out, you can start to see what the real issue is, what's really bothering you and what's not really the issue. It helps you separate it out. It also helps you, as you look back at it, either processing with a person or through writing it out, it helps you realize what is the real issue that needs to be confronted and addressed, what's being triggered in you. And you can also see, is this issue, is my response to this issue out of proportion to the issue? Is it like this big and the, the issue is actually this big? Or is my response comparable to that issue? And sometimes you'll realize if something is upsetting you and your response is over the top, it has something to do with your background or something that happened to you in the past, and it's triggering a response in you that is not directly, re it is triggered by this, but it's not this exact situation that is the real issue. It's something that happened in your past that is bringing on that full weight of <clears throat> anger and frustration. So these are, this is why you want to process first in a safe place, whether that's writing or talking with someone else. The next thing you want to do is you want to do some heart work. You want to spend time with God. You want to engage with him. You want to ask him to search your heart. You want to ask for his wisdom, his discernment. You want him to show you where the sin is in your heart. Matthew 7, 3 through 5 says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother or sister's eye. That's pretty direct. We need to look at ourselves and see what... What's going on in us? Where is our sin? What God wants to say to us in this situation before we head into an, a, to a conflict or discussing, uh, discussing a conflict with another person? Colossians 3.12 is our guide for that. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, and this, ladies, sets us apart from all others, because we are his chosen people, because we have the Holy Spirit in us, because we are holy and dearly loved, we can clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We can go to others with grace, forgiveness, love, kindness. We can go to each other seeing that each of us is made in the image of God, no matter how bad another person has fail, failed or fallen. We can look at them through the eyes of God and know that that, is, that person is a dearly loved child of God. So the third thing we can do, then, is simply set up time to discuss the issue with the person. And you want to follow, as we, many of you have probably heard before, the Matthew 18 principle. You can first go, if you have an issue with someone, it's so imper 
important to first go to that person and talk to them directly. Don't circle around. Don't tell all your friends about the issue and then go to that person. Honor that person and go to that person first and talk to them. If at that point that person doesn't listen and it escalates, then you get another person to come with you. It's that principle at first you go and talk to them directly, and then if they don't listen, you get another person to go with you, and you continue on, and possibly you need mediation. Um, Sometimes you might need to skip step one because you know that they won't hear you, but it's still important to go directly to that person, not talk to everyone else about the issue that you're having. The last thing you need to do is pray. And that one's the most important. Conflict is usually an emerging situation. It's not instant. You don't have to react instantly, even though we want to. That's our human flesh response. But we can take time. We can pray. We can ask that confident, that friend that's confidential to pray with us. We don't even have to tell that friend what the situation is. We can just say, I need your prayer. I'm about to have a really hard conversation. Can you please cover me in prayer? And if that friend is a trusted friend, they won't ask you the details. That gives you a good sign of whether that friend is a gossiper or a real prayer warrior. If they say, I got you, you don't say another word, I got you. I'm going to pray for you. That's a good sign of a good prayer partner and of someone who's confidential and who doesn't want the juicy details. But pray, pray, pray. Pray for your heart, pray for their heart. Pray for humility. Pray for kindness. Pray for compassion. Pray gentleness. Pray patience. Pray for reconciliation. Pray that the Spirit goes before you. Pray that the Spirit speaks to both of you. Pray. So those are four practical tips. Now I want to just talk about some when you're headed into a meeting with another person. And that's on your handout. It says tips to resolve conflict. And these are just simple practical tips. I read these before I go into a situation because it just helps remind me just simple things I can do. The first one is remember the purpose of the meeting. The purpose of the meeting is to reconcile. Now, that's not under your control. It's not under my control. Unfortunately, we wish it was. But that is your goal, is to go to be reconciled. It's not to go and unload frustration or tell the other person who's right or how they've wronged you or how bad they are or do any little finger waving. Keep your finger down. (laughs) Even the middle one, too. (laughs) Um, and by the way, I've learned these from experience. <laughs> so, uh, anyhow, remember who the real <laughs> remember who the real enemy is. Ephesians six twelve tells us: For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It is Satan who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Sin the flesh, the world, the devil. 
These are all avenues that he comes to kill, steal, and, re and destroy. And the other thing that Satan comes to do is to divide. He loves to divide, especially the body of Christ. He loves to divide the body of Christ. Because what better way than to have the church fail and to see believers who say they're united be turned on each other? When you're meeting, align yourself physically with the person. This is very practical. Use an open body position. Make eye contact. Often I'll watch people come into a meeting and they're angry and they just fold their arms instantly. And their face just has a scowl. And it's just like, just remind yourself, open up. And just think of it as being open to the Holy Spirit, open to what God would want to say to you. It shows a posture of humility and that you're ready to listen to that person and hear what they have to say. You also want to align yourself emotionally. When you come into a, to a meeting with a person, we got to remember, we are all broken. It's not, you're a mess, I got it figured out. Come on, let's get on the same page. It's, you know what? I am a broken woman. And I have messed up in the past so many times, and God has forgiven me so many times. So if, if that's where you're at, I'm with you. Let's figure this out together. There's none of this, I'm here, and you're here. You line emotionally. I'm broken, you're broken. Let's follow Jesus together. The next thing we can do is just, when you're talking with, make sure that the issue is addressed. Sometimes people may not sense the elephant that's been in the room and the issue that you want to address. So you just want to go over it. You want to recheck specifics. And again, this is helpful when you, when you write out what's going on. This helps you figure out what the specific issue is. And this is, you can come up with a great phrase that just kind of encapsulates all of what needs to be addressed. And you can stay, say it gently. You don't have to unload everything. You don't have to go on rabbit trails. You can just clarify what the issue is that you want to address. The next thing is speak directly and personally using language like I notice or I feel. You can be honest. Don't beat around the bush. But don't use accusatory statements like you did this or you made me feel or you. You don't want to put that person on the defensive. You just want to tell them, express how you, are, how you were impacted. I noticed or I felt. When, you, when this was said, I felt this way. Avoid using questions that imply judgment, such as, why can't you? I get frustrated when you. Avoid using, again, those accusatory statements. And keep things in perspective. One of the things I notice, even in talking in my own head to myself, which, yes, I do that, <laughs> is I'll say things like, oh, I'll never get this right. And that's a total exaggeration. That's not truth. And God has been teaching me not to use those words like never or always. So when you're talking to others and to yourself, say, you know what? This, this happened this time. Or to yourself, this happened this one time. And this is, what is what's upsetting. You don't have to bring up every other, every other thing or exaggerate. Describe the behaviors 
this one's important, and don't assume motives. I love that the Israelites went to the people and they said, you know, what's up with this altar? They didn't say, you guys are worshiping other gods. They said, why are you doing, or they said, why, why have you built this? Don't you remember? They didn't assume the motive, that it was dangerous ground. And if they had assumed the motive, they wouldn't have had the conversation. They wouldn't have went and had the conversation of curiosity and went and asked what was going on. But instead, they went with questions and said, what's going on behind this? Ask the person their perceptions. Remember that different people have different perceptions of what's going on. We all come with our own backstory, and so we bring those perceptions into a situation, and then we interpret that situation through our own lens. If there's pain that you see, address the pain. Be caring, express concern. If tears arise, or if something, some kind of tragic thing from their past arises, go there with them. Try to identify and stay to the core issues. Stick with the most immediate issue, and again, that goes back to your processing, figuring out what the real issue is, and just keep it simple and straightforward and stick with that issue. And make sure that you have a mutual understanding as this conversation goes on. And then confer together regarding a plan to move forward. And if the other is willing, close the time together in prayer. Praying for each other, praying for unity, praying for reconciliation, praying for forgiveness. So those are some practical tips. Now I share all that, and I wish I could say that this was like a magic formula, that if you go and do all this, that everything turns out great, but it doesn't. But God wants us to have a heart of compassion, of reconciliation, of humbleness, and sometimes it doesn't turn out how you want. Sometimes the other person is not willing to hear and not willing to reconcile. But you have done your part. You have been faithful to what he has asked you to do. And after that part, if you meet with that person on their own and they haven't listened, that's the next step when you bring in a mediator. And that mediator can help, help both of you hear each other and go to the next level of communication. On the back side of your handout, there's a great resource I just wanted to share with you. And there's a book called The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. It's a phenomenal book about conflict resolution. Uh, Carrie, one of our elders, used to, you were on the ministry, a leader of this ministry, right? And implemented it. And they go into churches and help churches with conflict. And Carrie, honestly, is, she won't like that I'm saying this, but she's a rock star. She um, is a great mediator and has a heart. She's so funny because, like I said, I'm on this side where I want to avoid conflict. Carrie's like, Lindsay, conflict's good. Let's go. Let's get into it. I'm like, you're killing me. But she goes, I like it because I get to see God work. It's this beautiful time when God works. And we're refining. Iron is sharpening iron. And God is refining both people. It's this beautiful thing where she gets to see the miracle of God work. And I love that. She's given me a different viewpoint on it. Uh, There's a website called Peacemakers um, Training. If you go on there, there's free resources. 
and I'm just going to quickly share four of their key statements, which the book unpacks in depth. When you're involved in a conflict, the, th- the four things you want to do is you want to glorify God. You want to ask yourself, how can I please and honor God in this situation? And ladies, that takes humility. We have to pull back. We have to pull back our anger and lay that before the cross, lay back any hurt feelings we have, any frustrations, lay that down before the cross and say, God, how can I honor you in this situation and not act out of my own reaction, my own human response, my own anger or frustration? The next thing, as I mentioned earlier, is they say is to get the log out of your eye. That's pretty straightforward. Just ask yourself, how have I contributed to this conflict and what do I need to do? And ask that to God. Again, ask him to search your heart and show you. The third thing is you go and you meet with your brother or sister and talk about the conflict. Help them, help um, talk together and understand how you both, I would say how you both have contributed to this conflict. And then your hope is that you'll be reconciled. How can I demonstrate forgiveness and encourage a reasonable solution to this conflict? And what's important is after you've been in a conflict, there's often lots of wounds, um, hurt feelings. It may not have been resolved how you wanted it to be. And so it's so important to just practice. I love these four tips for practicing forgiveness after conflict. And forgiveness is a complicated thing. I'm not going to pretend it's a one-time, I forgive you, and your feelings fall in line with, with that. But it is a conscious choice in some of your actions. And here, this is focusing, these four actions are f- focusing on what forgiveness looks like. I, you promise yourself, you commit to promising and practicing these four things. It says, I will not dwell on this incident. That's hard. I don't know if you're like me. I love to dwell. <laughs> My mind just can camp out on an instant where I've been hurt and just repeat it over and over and over. But we need to stop that. We need to set it aside. And sometimes you can do a mindful exercise where you actually literally take the situation and put it in a jar or a container and just Picture yourself screwing the lid on that jar, putting it in, loading it in, everything that you're thinking, putting it in that jar, turning the lid on, capping it tightly, and then putting that jar somewhere out of sight. And sometimes even that just practical, mindful step can help you set that aside if you're one of those minds that just keeps circling around something. The next thing you want to do is promise that you will not bring up this incident and use it against the other person. That's part of forgiveness. That's part of honoring each other. That's part of not shaming another person if there has been a wrong. The third thing is committing, saying, I will not talk to others about this incident. Statistically, one of the things that Peacemaker says is that gossip is the number one cause of division. So committing not to talk about it can help bring unity. And the last is, I will not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. You can have boundaries, but you don't have to continue to punish the person. 
you can have a personal relationship, you can work together or live by each other or whatever the situation is, the relationship is. It does not have to hinder that relationship, but you can keep safe boundaries. With that, I'm going to close just with the reminder of Colossians 3, 12 through 17. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, that's you, ladies, that's each of you in this room, each of you in the room uh, tonight and Thursday morning, it's all of God's children. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, that's us, the church, that's here at sunset, that's the church at large, we were called to peace. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God of peace, that you are the God of unity, that you came, Lord, with the mission of unity and peace. And I pray, Lord, for all of us as we navigate conflict. It's in our daily lives, Lord, unfortunately. Well, for me, I say unfortunately for People like Bob Day, he says, yes. I just pray, Lord, for wisdom in navigating the situations. I pray for your humility for all of us. I pray that you guide us and teach us to love one another well. And I pray for each of us to be able to hear when someone has a grievance against us, Lord, that we would be able to hear it and not be defensive and realize that our worth and value comes from you alone. That if someone has a grievance against us, it's, it doesn't demean or devalue us, Lord. It's simply the opportunity, Lord, of dealing with conflict, of being refined and growing. And you taking off those sharp edges that we all have. Remind us that we're all broken, that we are in this together. And that through the power of your Holy Spirit, we can be um, serve alongside each other as brothers and sisters and navigate conflict in peace and unity. In Jesus' name, amen.